Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I mean, they always have a big mouth. They always talk a lot. So it happened before. It's going to happen again. Welcome to another episode of Fantastic Tennis, where the fans get to know their favorite pros. I'm your host, John Garica. Each week, I'm joined by a major fan of the sport that, like most of us, love to talk, follow, play, and give their unsolicited opinions about the sport we all love. And to help balance that out, we're always joined by an expert of the game that has been there and knows exactly what it feels like to win those big matches. We get to pick their brain and ask all the questions we've always wanted to ask our favorite players. This is Fantastic Tennis. This week's fan guest is a great friend of mine and WTA super fan living in Brooklyn, New York. He's the head of social media for his company, and like today's guest, he's a graduate of the University of Virginia and loves a good on-court fist pump. It's my fellow WTA savant, David Replogle. David, thanks for joining today. How are you? Uh, I'm great, John. Even better being the latest fan on Fantastic Pop. <laughs> <laughs> I love Highlight. Of my year, maybe. I, oh, oh, yeah. Well, well, happy holidays to you. Um, <laughs> if I have two Cavaliers on the call today, I really want to make sure that I'm learning the UVA chant at some point today. So you have to make that promise. But we do have a cool connection to today's guest because you both are Cavaliers and she and I are both from the same hometown. So we're basically like second tennis cousins. So just in time for the holidays. <laughs> we're family. All right, let's bring out our special guest. Our player guest today is the poster child for a successful pro career after college tennis. She, Danielle Rose, to prominence after winning two NCAA singles titles at the University of Virginia and made a splash in her very first WTA event as an amateur when she took then world number two, Simona Halep, to three sets in her opening match at the 2014 US Open. She then quickly climbed up the WTA rankings with a title in Newport in 2018 and a huge result to make the semifinals at the 2019 Australian Open. Just recently, she made an amazing run to her first French Open quarterfinal in the craziest of wind that only a native Floridian could appreciate. Our guest today is the always entertaining and beautiful Danielle Rose Collins. Danielle, so great to talk to you again. What's up? Oh, not much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We spoke back in May when the world was on lockdown. And guess what? We're still on Zoom, my friend. <laughs> It's a strange year. It's a very strange year. And a crazy French Open. I cannot wait to talk about those two weeks. But before we do, how are you feeling? What's going on? What's keeping you busy? Are you training or are you in downtime mode right now? Yeah, I'm um, I'm doing a lot of training, which has been fun. My boyfriend had had to go. He went back to Australia um, because he had some things that he had to get sorted with his visa. So I was doing some fitness in Tampa with one of my old fitness coaches for um, a few weeks, somebody that I worked with last year before Tom and I started traveling with each other. So that was fun to kind of get together with an old friend and and just kind of have a different system for a couple of weeks. But now Tom and I are back to work together. So we're getting after it every day and trying to eat healthy and my recipes. <laughs> Danielle Collins, vegan cookbook on shelves next year. Look out for it. <laughs> All right, guys, before we jump into some recent tennis and Danielle's career, I thought we'd start the pod today with my very favorite way to start any service game. 15 love. That's 15 love. It's a super simple game. 
I'm going to throw 15 questions at you, Danielle, and you just respond as quickly as you can with the first thing that pops in your head. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's do this. <laughs> no holds bar. All right. Number one, name the first professional match you remember watching live or on television. Oh, I watched so many of the Serena and Venus matches. Um, and I could recall so many of them. I love the ones where they were playing in the finals against each other. I mean, yeah, pick about 40, pick about 30 or 40 of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number two, in a ridiculous year, what would you say was the highlight of 2020 for you? The highlight of 2020, um, probably making quarterfinals in Paris. That was really exciting. I, I had a tough year with some personal things and I was just so proud of myself to be able to get over some of that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about it. We're going to deep dive. What was the first nice thing you bought yourself with your tennis earnings? Um, probably a bracelet. Yeah. Number four, uh, first word that pops into your head when I say the name Dominic Team. Um, tenacious. What is your morning ritual? My morning ritual. Um, <laughs> as of recently, it seems like I've been gravitating towards the uh, candy jar a little bit too much in the morning. <laughs> Really? What candy? Alan's candy. It's an Australian. Um, oh yeah. 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 You're practically Australian now. You're like Aussie Danny now. That's what I, you are. Uh, <laughs> I got a new coffee maker. So that's usually the first thing I go to. I mean, if I could have coffee in an IV, I would, <laughs> but I don't think Annie Doping would like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm coffee. I'm like three cups of coffee in succession. And then I'll do candy for lunch. <laughs> Okay. Name someone currently on the men's or women's tour that you don't really know, but looks like they'd be a lot of fun to hang out with. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I could think of a few. <laughs> I don't know where your head's at, but I'm obsessed with wherever it's going. God, you know, Ash Barty, she seems like a good time. Let's yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Let's go golfing with Ash Barty and grab a beer. Let's do it. I'm with you. Yeah, party with Barty. A party with Barty. If you weren't a pro tennis player, what do you think your job would be? Um, I don't know. This is like a therapy session too. I love it. You know, I think when I'm done playing tennis, I just, I, I really like to be a mentor. That would be kind of cool. That's the only thing I can really wrap my head around at this point. I, I feel like I, with my degree and, and just now like having different experiences, I feel like there's a lot of different things I could probably go into, but I'd want to kind of focus on doing something I'm actually passionate about. <laughs> it's a great idea. I know you have a strict diet that keeps you healthy, dairy-free, gluten-free, mostly vegan and plant-based. Name one food not in your diet that you'd say you miss the most. Cheese. Yeah. Name a celebrity or tennis player that you've been mistaken for. I've been mistaken for Wozniacki a few times. I don't really see it. I think it's such a big compliment. I don't really see it, but I get it all the time. I think it must be like the braid. <laughs> You're both beautiful. And I actually, I didn't think of it until I looked at you again and I said, oh yeah, I totally see it. If you had the power to change anything or any rule in pro tennis, what would you pick? There's a lot. <laughs> this is going to be a long podcast today, everybody. I love it. Buckle in everybody. Grab your beverage because this is going to be a long one. Yeah. The popcorn ready. <laughs> What's the one tennis rule you think you'd change if you had the power? I think um, they've kind of done this for a while, just with where you play like third match on or fourth match on or fifth match on. But I think there needs to be more not before times because it's so hard to prepare. Like if 
your third match on, but there's two matches going on in front of you and somebody could roll their ankle or something could happen. It's tennis is such a unique sport because you never know when you're going to play. And in other sports, that's just not the case. And I don't, I don't think people can prepare to their best, even top players. I feel like it would be more effective for everybody if there was not before times. Absolutely. What a, what a great idea. The draw comes out and your opponent sees she's playing Danielle Collins. What is she thinking? <laughs> I guess it just depends uh, how my mood's been. <laughs> oh, this is fun today. Name the most ridiculous thing you've seen written about you. Oh gosh, there's a lot. Um, if you want me to write down a list? We'll talk about it. Give me one. Give me one to start the appetizer of this today. I love it. Um... I like the ones when they're like, you're never going to be as good looking as Maria Sharapova. <laughs> that's ridiculous. All right. That's a good one. I, I, that's a great one to start. Describe yourself off court in just one word. Um, off court. I think I'm pretty laid back, easygoing. Yeah. Off court for sure. I don't know. On court. Yeah. That was a, that's a different question. Yeah. All right. Finally, looking forward to next year. What is your number one goal for the 2021 tennis season? My number one goal, um, I think to just have consistent results, try to do the best that I can. I love it. You're bringing the energy today, Danielle. I love it. This is going to be fun today. All right. Well done, guys. All right. Let's talk some recent tennis. This is the time of the year that players start posting photos of their off-season training. We've already seen photos from Azarenka, Kvitova. I know players like you, Danielle, are training hard in the off-season, but what are you training for? New updates for the 2021 Australian Open are happening daily, and surely they'll be even out of date when this episode comes out. With the January start date in doubt and the Australian Open looking more like possibly February, what are your plans, Danielle? Are you just waiting around like us? Yeah, I'm like waiting around. You know, I'm, I'm really eager to kind of figure out like when we're going to be playing, but obviously we're living in a really different time right now. And, and this is hard for tennis Australia. This has put a lot of pressure on them. And I know that they're working so tirelessly to try to be able to get a date finalized and to work with the Australian government. So they're doing everything they can. It's just, it's just the times we're living in, unfortunately, but I love staying fit. I love doing my fitness. I mean, even if I wasn't playing tennis, I would be probably training for something. So I've been doing a lot of really interesting things that I maybe haven't done in the past. Like I've been, I've been taking, um, Krav Maga lessons. Okay. Like a martial arts. And yeah, that has really kind of just sparked a new passion for me and I love it. Um, I wish I could go more days a week, but I'm really happy. I have a great coach that I work with and yeah, such a rewarding hobby and it's very empowering as well because you're learning how to protect yourself. So, and it's great fitness. Um, and you're training parts of your body that like, for me, I've, I never did martial arts and I, I wish I would have as a kid. Cause I think there's so many valuable lessons that you learn through those types of sports. And so I'm learning things and learning to do things with my body that I've never done before. And it's, yeah, it's like a weird feeling and it's like rewarding and it, yeah, it's so much fun. And we have some good laughs during it because I have clumsy moments <laughs> and times where I look very unathletic, but I'm working on it and I love it. So that's been fun. Yeah. You're mixing it up in the off season. I think that's very cool. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna give a good nice spark to next year. You always start Australia strong. You have been the past couple of seasons, so this is like a a great new new regime for you. I love it. Yeah, awesome. You found Danielle's post tennis calling too, John Krav Maga mentor. There we go. 
<laughs> this is going to be a fun hour, you guys. This is, I, I don't know what, what's going to happen. Well, I know COVID is still on the rise. And if we want to see tennis, I know we have to do our part, wear those masks. Just wear it, wear it like it's your religion, everybody, because we want to see from a fan perspective, we want to see that Australian Open happen for sure. Danielle, I do have a question though. I mean, uh, who knows what the bubble in Melbourne is going to look like, but when you think about the French Open, you think they would have copied the same formula that seemed to work at the US Open, but we kind of saw that Paris went rogue with the majority of players having grumbles about uh, comparing it to New York. What were your thoughts on the New York versus Paris bubbles? Yeah, I mean, I think when you have two different organizations and you're you have two separate tennis tournaments being played in different countries, I don't know how players can expect for things to go exactly the way they were before. Again, it's it's two totally different organizations in two totally different places. Um, so yeah, I think it's just maybe a lack of thought. There's never going to be perfect situations, whether we're in a pandemic or we're not. The pandemic has made it really difficult for, I think, tournament organizers and everybody working behind the scenes. And I think each tournament has had its pitfalls and areas that it can improve, just like any time. But I really, you know, I think, too, with it kind of being towards the end of the season and people being in the bubble for so long, I could understand maybe some of the people's frustrations and confusion. But I I had a great tournament, so... Um, I don't really have any complaints. You know, we did what we were supposed to do. We wore our masks. We stayed in the hotel room. I didn't go to the grocery store. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, you know, I think we just tried to follow the rules and and we did what we were supposed to do. And and that's all you can really do. And it it was a bit different, you know, at the French Open having fans, um, even though it wasn't a large number it was still really nice having people there cheering on the players even if they weren't necessarily cheering for me I kind of liked just having some energy but luckily I did have a lot of people come out to support me and that was an amazing feeling just playing in that environment versus you know literally no one being there and being empty and kind of yeah you know hey I love it too. You know, you're, you said it to each organization is, is quite different. So it's going to be quite interesting to see what, what the Aussies come up with too. I know we're, we're all really excited about it, but we're still talking about the French. We saw what a September French open would look like. It was windy, cold, mostly indoors. And we saw Danielle Collins decked out in her best long sleeve new balance winter gear for every match. I did wonder, Danielle, did your parents demand a thank you for raising you in Florida because of all the wind? Did <laughs> Did they say, yeah, this is why you made the quarters because we... Every time when I was younger, my dad would have me practice like right before a hurricane. And I'd be like, dad, there's 60 mile an hour winds. Why are we out here? And he's like, it's going to be so much easier when you're playing and there's no wind. Have to learn how to play in all conditions and circumstances. So I think it certainly helped growing up in Florida and and playing in those windy environments Um, as a kid. I... I felt like I embraced the conditions really well. I I mean, I'm not totally used to the cold, but I did play a lot of cold college matches in my career. And, you know, luckily with the, with it being a clay court event, it makes it a little bit easier, you know, just being able not having to, you know, constantly have to get off the courts when they get wet. So yeah, I, uh, I tried to wear my long sleeves so I wouldn't pull a muscle and make sure I stay warm the whole time. And I I normally, you know, just wear the skirt and the tank. So it was a bit different wearing the long sleeves. It made me feel a little bit heavy at times. (laughs) 
No, it was a different look for all of us. You know, you turn on the TV. I don't know about about you know you, David, but I, I do want to get your your take, David. I wonder what your thoughts were from the fan perspective watching the French. Did we love having another new champion on the women's side? And how much do we love Rafa Nadal, who could literally win the French under any circumstance whatsoever? Yeah, seriously. I, I it was funny, John, because you know I know you and I talked a little bit about what to what to expect during the podcast. And and when I was thinking about my favorite moments of 2020 on the women's side, it was definitely Iga Sviatek winning her first major. I thought that was incredible. I thought it was an awesome storyline and what just like an amazing surprise on top of a ton of maybe not so amazing surprises of 2020. So I thought it was really, really fun. And, and uh, just, yeah, seeing amazing runs uh, kind of first time runs like the one that Danielle had. That was awesome. Completely agree. And, and also you just have to be in awe of what Rafa Nadal can do anywhere. I'm hoping maybe the one, maybe they move the French to December just so he could play in the snow and win it too, just to, to like, <laughs> I don't know. Cause I just feel like that's the last thing that, I mean, he's just kind of like, okay, do whatever you want maybe. But um, did you get to watch any of Nadal's matches, Danielle in, in Paris? I did. I didn't get to watch them live, but we watched a lot on TV. Nadal is one of my favorite players. He plays with so much passion, so much intense intensity. I love what he's about on and off the court. And I love his attitude and demeanor. I think he's just so great for the game. I mean, he's my favorite player. So, yeah. Oh, there we go. I got to say, Roger is my favorite men's player. So it was, it was a little, you know, Tough uh, seeing Nadal tie his major record, but Danielle, everything you said is so right. I mean, you got to give it up for Rafa, the passion, the intensity, the way he carries himself just so well, no matter the circumstance on and off the court. It's his house. That's his house. That's his court. Danielle, how great was your run though? You played some masterful tennis. So I want to have a tournament breakdown, insert uh, a very uh, pixelated voice right now with lots of kind of crazy music. I honestly thought, Danielle, you had a nightmare draw at the French, but you ultimately fought your way through really tough sections. You opened against Monica Nicolescu and lost the first set. And good thing you don't really drink a lot, Danielle, because slice forehands and backhands on <laughs> in wet clay sounds like my absolute tennis nightmare <laughs> for sure. What did you think when you saw the draw? Were there any F-bombs or were you pretty happy with the section? You know, usually I just try to focus one match at a time because I used to get terrible draws in the junior tournaments. I would always be, you know, playing the top seed in the first round and I'd have another hard opponent the next round. And my dad would always tell me, you know, if you're going to win a tournament, you have to beat all of the best players regardless. So it's just something that you have to learn how to handle. And um, I think Nicolescu is probably one of the trickiest players you can draw especially first round after she had gotten to play some matches through qualifying and kind of get some momentum. Um, and I also didn't play in Rome and any warm up tournaments before the French. So it was a little bit nerve wracking. And I think that kind of showed during that first set, but I knew ultimately what I needed to try to do to win the match. And I was able to make my adjustments and I did a really good job mentally that day because I think, when you lose a set that quickly, you can kind of let the match get away from you really, really fast. And I didn't let that happen. And I, I just tried to do the best I could. And, and I just had to be a little bit more patient. But yeah, I mean, I certainly, you know, playing Muguruza and then Jabor as well. She's a very, 
tricky player. Um, you know, I had some really tough matches there. You definitely did. So, the, so you win your first round. The second round was supposed to be the NCAA popcorn rematch with Jen Brady, but the draw gods gave you the new Danish hope, Clara Tossen instead. Pretty straightforward, two and three. But I do think she has a good future ahead of her. Do you, do you remember anything about that match with Clara? Yeah, um, she's incredibly talented, a fighter, hard worker. You know, I, I think just maybe experience too with her being so young. Um, she had a great win the match before. And I think, you know, it's natural for young players to put a lot of pressure on themselves. So, but yeah, she's an incredible player and I can't wait to see what she does with her career. I mean, I felt like we couldn't move past the Nicolescu match without talking about that famous come on heard around the world <laughs> made the rounds on Twitter. That's for sure. It's so funny, you know, like when the people, they get all upset about the commands and everything. It's like, we're playing a sport <laughs> and we're professionals that are like playing for their career for money. Like <laughs> so. That's a pressure match always, just as Danielle said, that's not a match I ever want to play. Yeah. Uh, Danielle, third round against Garbina Muguruza was a classic display of the fight that your fans have come to love from Danielle Collins tennis. It was maybe, for me, your second best match of the entire year. Beating Svitolina 1-1 one and one in Brisbane was bonkers. But winning 6-4 in the third and beating a former French Open champion is a pretty big accomplishment. Yeah, uh, there was a lot going on during the, during the tournament and the weeks leading up to that. So I was just so proud of myself. Yeah, I'd be able to push through. This year was not easy um, going through coaching changes the year before. It's hard to find people that you can trust and people that you feel comfortable working with. And, you know, we're still trying to find the best fit for me. And I think it's like that for the majority of players, but I was able to kind of put all of that aside and I was able to focus and I was just able to go out and try to do what I do best. And that's competing and trying to be as mentally strong as possible and not get too down when things weren't going my way and try to, you know, just keep that mental clarity and yeah, be able to push through. What a win. And to make your first fourth round at the French in the fourth Anz Jabor was waiting for you. She was gaining steam and becoming a great story at the French. She beat Sabalenka and it seemed like her game was tailor made for the heavy conditions in Paris. And then poof, another six, four in the third win for team Danielle Rose Collins. The match was so back and forth. Anz is super talented. Uh, what do you remember from that match, Danielle? Yeah. Um, I think she is another tricky player. I think she comes up with some incredible shots and really clutch moments. Um, there were some hard backhand shots that I hit to her that I was not expecting for her to be able to hit drop shot winners off of. So I had to adjust what I was doing a little bit. I had to adjust my anticipation. There were some moments in that match where I thought, okay, well, I don't think she can play any better than she is right now. So I've just got to try to weather the storm and do everything that I can to try to match what she's doing. And, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully I can turn this around. With that perspective and matches, is that typically calm you down and help you? Or was that some, you know, if you say, oh my gosh, this player is playing the absolute best they can, the level has to drop off. Is that typically something that would kind of level you off in a match? Um, I'm not sure. You know, I think sometimes with tennis players and it being an individual sport, I think we have the tendency to blame ourselves a lot and be like, Oh my God, what am I doing wrong? Like, how am I losing? How am I down? But sometimes you have to remember, okay, well, I'm playing against somebody that's a top professional tennis player. And these things are going to happen because this is what they do. 
this is who they are. And I have to accept that and just try to move on and do my best. So sometimes the, you know, your opponent ends up being too good and you have to tip your hat to them when that happens. And other times, you know, you might find an opening to get back yourself back into the match and you might have an opening to kind of showcase your best tennis too. So it's a lot of back and forth this game. So you have to be accepting of that, I think. Well, it got you to your first French Open, first of many French Open quarterfinals to come. It was against Sophia Kennan, which was so tough. What a great year for Sophia. It was your third straight three-set match. We had Coco Vandeweghe on the show, and she mentioned Sophia is one of those players that are super tricky to play. She can push. She can throw in a wicked angle, some fast shots. Uh, I'm sure you'd like another shot at Sophia in the future. Yeah, we've played some great matches and most of those matches I came out on top. It wasn't my day. Um, you know, I tore my ab. I don't know what more I can say. Um, and it was pretty obvious in that third set that there was very little that I could yeah. do and I was praying for a miracle. And it's it's heartbreaking when that happens um, because you work so hard to make it to the quarterfinals in your career to do the right things to try to prevent these things from happening. And and they happen. And yeah, it was, it was gut wrenching for me. I, you know, kind of felt like in the second set, I kind of figured a way uh, back into the match to get myself to play a little bit better strategically. And it was pretty obvious from the start of the third set. It was, there was no chance. Well, you said it yourself. It was a highlight of 2020 for this season for you. Uh, We feel like career-wise, progression from even 2018 to 2019 to 2020 it's all these firsts for you so who knows for next year it's it's pretty awesome so well done at the french open all right uh david i know you're an avid tennis fan i'd love to know how did tennis become such a big part of your life yeah i i gotta shout out my mom she uh, was the one who not only introduced me to playing but introduced me to watching and Uh, Danielle, like you, I have so many memories of watching Venus and Serena, countless matches, countless finals. But John, I think my first crystal memory of a WTA match was the Groff Hingis 99 French Open final, which I mean, oh my God, just like rooting actively against Martina Hingis. And now I love, I love her. I I do. But at the time, uh, just like, rooting so hard against her and then when Graf won it was incredible and like just the level of the match was amazing but of course the drama was even better crossing net the Graf's iconic two hops after she won and then Melanie Molitor having to drag Martina out of the locker room crying oh my ah ah a plus a plus 99, you had the French Open, then my favorite Grand Slam, probably of all time, 99 Wimbledon after that. So yeah, that, I love that era for sure. David, when did Danielle pop on your radar? What And what is it about Danielle's game that you love so much? Oh my God, where do I begin? Okay, so I graduated UVA in 2011 and I played club tennis because I was absolutely not good enough to play <laughs> D1 tennis. But um, at the time that I was at UVA, the men's program was crushing it like they're uh Trent Huey is actually still playing dubs he's still out there and uh yet I, I kept following the the college teams after I graduated and I remember Danielle coming on my radar when she was having her amazing 2013-2014 season and then I remember reading about her winning the 2014 NCAAs and of course 
that comes with the accompanying wild uh, wild card to the U.S. Open. And John, I know you already touched on this, but I remember just being like, oh shit, like I can't believe she drew Simona Howe first round, like reigning French Open finalist, number two in the world. I, Danielle, were you on Arthur Ashe? Yeah. Oh my God, Arthur Ashe. And then being like, oh, wow, she just won the first set. And, you know, stayed pretty close with Simona after that. That was incredible. And then actually after Danielle uh, won the NCAAs again, I was in the crowd at Fleshy Meadows for her first round against Rodina. And I, it, was, it was so awesome to be there. And I just remember being like, oh my God, this Danielle should be a model, right? Like first and foremost. <laughs> and she already is going to be a mentor. She has a lot of jobs. There's a lot of things that, you know, she... <laughs> no. Nice. <laughs> I'm like on that model, mentor, everything, <laughs> all the above. Um, but what I love, there are so many things I love about Danielle's game. I mean, John, as you said, the passion, always, uh, you know, try to bring the passion to the court. But more importantly, you know, I love to crank the ball and I wish I could hit the shit out of the ball like Danielle. That's, that's my <laughs> life goal. Danielle, if I could spend five minutes with your strokes and be able to just whip every ball a million miles per hour <laughs> i would do it well, i'll share yeah. i'll share some tips with you at some point yeah. perfect i love it part part two to this podcast everybody <laughs> all right well i'm loving the camaraderie between you both but now it's time for a game called i 40 love you it'll be david versus danielle and a fan versus favorite tennis match trivia showdown all about danielle's career and life David, I'm going to ask you two questions about Danielle's career. And then, Danielle, I'm going to ask you two questions that kind of sort of have to do with David, but more so about you. Okay. So if we end up in a 2-2 tie, I'm going to give David the opportunity right now to be today's champion, but only if he can survive this first question. Otherwise, the tie break goes to Danielle. So, David, this game is called True or Fault. This is an early test for your fandom to Team Collins. So good luck to you, sir. All right, David, I'll give you three statements about Danielle. If the statement is true, you say true. If the statement is not correct, please firmly say fault in your best Wimbledon lines person's voice. <laughs> you need two out of three to win the tiebreak. Here we go. We'll make this kind of quick. All right, true or false, David? Danielle's mom is a preschool teacher and her dad mowed lawns. Is that true or false? True. Danielle, yeah, true or false? True. It is true. You know... I didn't get to talk about why I became such a great Danielle Collins fan, but for me, tennis is very expensive. And for kids like myself that grew up without any money, it's really hard to play the sport. So I really love the fact that you grew up playing on public courts in St. Petersburg, Florida. I still practice every day at the public courts. I go out, there's leaves, there's bird poop everywhere. I love the public courts. I don't like going to country clubs. I love that you're not pretentious, but the one thing I can, I, and I can, and I play in bird poop. I play, believe me with, you know, there's uh, the things that I found in a New York city public court. You'd blush right now. <laughs> I can tell you for sure. But uh, I hate when there's no net strap, that middle net strap. It's so annoying to me, even as like somebody who doesn't play anywhere near your level. It's so annoying, but hopefully your public courts have that. It is annoying, but I do sometimes like it because it makes the net higher and then oh. practice with it slightly higher. It gives me a little practice. Uh, does your public court have Hawkeye like ours do in New York? No. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. No, we don't have. 
I just, I just, wow, those New York taxes. (laughs) It's very, you have to pay a hundred bucks a year to even walk on a public court in New York. It's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. I can drive up and pull up to the, there's a public court down the street from my house. There's one that's five minutes away near the beach. It's amazing. That's one thing I love about where I live is there's just so many different public parks that are available and accessible to everybody. And it's, um, it brings a good sense of community. It really does. All right. Question number two, David, Danielle started playing world team tennis in 2019 for the Philadelphia freedoms. Is that true or fault? Fault? (laughs) Thank you for doing that. Uh, It's actually true. Damn it. That was her first team. I had to think about it for a second too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. That's good. All right. You, you mentioned it for one second, but there's an elephant in the room and once and for all, so you never have to talk about it ever again, Danielle Rose Collins. She was getting supplements. All right. Are we done with this? Are we good? <laughs> all right. Last question. David, you need this one to win the tiebreak. All right. Including ITFs, qualifying, and main draws, Danielle has won two matches in her career, six love, six love. True or fault? Well, I'm going to try to use process of elimination and say that because the other answers were true, that this is fault. (laughs) Congratulations. You've won the tie break. It's three, actually. I should have given Danielle the opportunity. Wait, what matches have I won 6-0-6-0? It was in ITFs. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Those are my most challenging matches. Maybe it's just mental. (laughs) It was a while ago. It was a while ago. There was one against a barn burner against Charity John in the first round of Innsbruck in 2015. I mean, I went on a spiral with her results, by the way. I don't... Oh, God. I remember that, actually. Yeah. You do? Okay, see, there we go. I mean, it wasn't love and love, but you started the year beating Putin Seva one and love, and then you beat Svitolina one and one. So, you know, great start. Cheers to you, Aussie Danny, for a great start to the year. Oi, oi. <laughs> Yeah. So that was pretty awesome. All right, David, you win the tiebreak. Awesome. Let's get to question one. That wasn't even the game. That was just the tiebreak. Danielle, your first question about David. Danielle, like you, David graduated from the University of Virginia and was cheering you on as you won your two NCAA titles. In NCAA history, there's only been seven women that have won two titles with you, Danielle, being the last in 2016. Can you name any of the other six with two titles? Nicole Gibbs. Yeah. Great job. Um, yeah. You're going to keep going just to show me up. That's great. I mean, you got it right. Point for Collins. Lisa Raymond too. She's up for the hall of fame. So. Oh yeah. I, yeah. Lisa Raymond. Some great ones. Uh, wait, let me, I can name them. I think. Wow. Um, One's married to Michael Chang. Little known fact, unless I'm completely wrong, David, right? Am I right? It's Amber Lou. Isn't Amber Lou married to Michael Chang? Yeah. She's one of those like Panetta Fognini, like Federer, Mirka, like tennis. Okay, maybe I can't name all of them. Okay, yeah, that was a tough one. All right, Nicole, Patty Fendick. Okay. No? Yeah. Well, Laura Granville. Yeah, you want to stop right there. You're gonna... Okay, there we go. Sandra Birch is the last one. Uh, that one I had to look up really, but um, okay. but good job. All right, so Danielle, your years at UVA, great memories? Yes. Yes? Okay. Some, some are a little, little bit of a blur. <laughs> I'm I'm picturing you walking down the halls like Cher from Clueless with your two NCAA rings and everyone's like saying, oh, there's Danielle. There's that cool like tennis, tennis player. I probably wasn't walking down the halls too often, but. (laughs) 
Maybe the halls of the bar. There we go. <laughs> We've talked about college being the right move for you at the right time, but was there ever a moment that you seriously considered quitting after winning that first title? Um, no. <laughs> there were times when I actually thought about quitting tennis because we all have bad days at our job. And I think there's probably days where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? And I could be doing something. You know, we all go through that. And, um, you know, I, I knew that I was talented at tennis and that there were times when I didn't enjoy it as much. And there were times, of course, when I was enjoying it a lot, like it, when you're winning national championships, it's fun, but on your bad days, it's not, you're not always on that high, but no, I, I didn't really think about turning pro because I didn't feel, you know, I just don't think it was in the cards for me. Um, I didn't have the financial resources to be able to have a career and tennis college tennis enabled me to connect with the right people I think too to be able to have the right type of support behind me when I started my career and so I I really yeah almost kind of like right place at the right time so yeah I'm, I'm glad I never really thought about turning pro in the middle of my career because I think too it's hard to go back to college when you get a little bit older too especially for undergrad and I was so close to finishing you know, it was only a couple more semesters. And I remember there was one person, it was actually after I won my second NCAA title and I needed to take one summer class at UVA. It was four weeks. I just needed one to graduate. And the guy advised me, this person in tennis advised me to not do it and to start so that I could start playing tournaments, you know, right away. When you were that close? Four Come on. weeks away. I'm like, what do you mean? I've done all of these classes. I'm one course away from getting my degree. And this person kept advising me to not do that. And so sometimes, you know, you can't listen to the bullshit <laughs> and you have to, I mean, what kind of advice was that? Um, <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, look where you ended up. So congrats to you. Um, I do love the idea of college tennis because you're on a team, which you play an individual sport. You got to play Fed Cup. That was pretty cool. That Was that kind of like college-ish? Was that, you know, did that feel, you know, reminiscent of college to you? Um, yeah, I think a little bit. It's certainly a different format, less people on the team. You're only with each other for, you know, a week or so. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an honor playing for your country. It's, it's an incredible feeling too. Like my first Fed Cup being in the finals with the team. And I wish I could have contributed more and have helped the team, but I was just lucky to be able to be a part of it and one for the books. There's some photos that deserve a frame for sure. It was awesome. Last time we spoke, I think it was back in April. And then right afterwards, you went to Charleston and you played with all of our very favorite WTA players. It was that first dip into that COVID tennis water. Did you have fun playing in Charleston? That was another team event. Oh, that was amazing. Um, I was on Bethany's team. And you guys won, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Bethany's my bestie. I'm going to see Bethany next week. Awesome. We're going on a girl's trip. Hey, Bethany. Yeah. I'm going to slide into your DMs, Bethany. You should come on our show. You should. Okay. I'll put in, a, put in a good word for you. I was on her team, so that was just amazing. I love playing with Bethany. I mean, she just brings such a fun element, and she is such good vibes. She is the queen of good vibes. I, yeah. Let me tell you. Totally. Quarters at Wimbledon. Check. Yeah. I rode on Bethany's back for that one. So <laughs> I can't really take credit, but um, I still tell people that, you know, I made quarterfinals. Probably one of the most proud moments of my career, um, getting to play with B. So it was pretty fun. Yeah. Cause like, it means that much more when you play with a friend 
and somebody that you're really close to. And I normally don't really enjoy doubles, but with Bethany, I love doubles. So we're going to send her that sound clip. That's good. She's going to love that. She's going to go, ah, oh, she's going to buy you a drink. <laughs> she's going to buy you a Tito's, a gluten-free Tito's for you. <laughs> All right. Second question, David, this is your first question about Danielle. David, we've talked about Danielle and her great rise after college. I'd love to get Danielle's take, but I think 2018 was the turning point of Danielle's rise up the WTA rankings. David, I'm going to ask you to write down on a piece of paper what Danielle personally considers to be her first big win on tour, but don't show us. We'll see if it matches Danielle's answer. 2018, you start the year so amazing. Newport was a big a big, huge title for you. You played well in Indian Wells, Miami, got some good wins in Rome, a really good win in Eastbourne too. David, let me know when you've written it down. Okay, I'm ready. All right. So Danielle, what, what would you say was your first big win on tour? Um, probably beating Madison Keys at Indian Wells. That's a really good one. David, what'd you say? Uh, I watched that match on TV too, but I said Venus at Miami. <laughs> That one's up there. I mean, the progression was great. You know, Newport, you win that title. Fantastic. Kudos. Uh, you beat Zvonareva. That was really the the highest, you know, the player that had been ranked the highest. You, you beat her at a, at a 125 in Indian Wells. Then you play the main draw. You beat Townsend. You beat Madison there. And then Miami, you become the first qualifier to ever make the semifinals of Miami. That was a great couple months for you. Uh, what do you remember about that tournament besides beating the icon Venus Williams if you're watching those matches and then you're playing her there had to been like that moment of like and you're playing her in Miami which was like Venus is Venus's yeah yeah she's the queen of Miami yeah yeah well I played Monica Puig in Miami and that was scary that was like a Fed Cup match probably yeah yeah it was yeah <laughs> not a good memory. Not a good memory. I know she's very popular. I've I thrive in that type of negative environment. So it's like, I just ate it up. <laughs> I can add that to my uh, resume, like thrives. And <laughs> when people are saying negative things to her. <laughs> so that Venus match, obviously, you know, huge, huge for you, especially if you consider her to be one of the people you looked up to growing up. Can we just get a, a quick a quick moment of, of reflection of that match? Yeah, um, my parents came to, to watch that match and beating her in my home state. And it's also, you know, that's her home as well. It's very special. And I think that's, you know, kind of when I started getting more recognition for some of my results. I mean, it kind of all happened around the same time as like Indian Wells, Miami, Newport Beach a couple months before, but it seems like I seemed like I had taken off kind of then and more people knew who I was. Before that, it was like I was just kind of coming onto the scene and still kind of making the transition from college, but definitely a shock to a lot of people, you know, me beating Venus. And I just played a great match. And I, yeah, I don't think I could have played any better that day. I used all everything that I had and I played really well, being so nervous and. I mean, it's, it's a weird feeling playing against your idol. <laughs> You've done it twice. You you played her in Wuhan as well. Yeah, like I almost wanted to like mouth to her after the match. Like, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> Which I think I might have done that like in the locker room. Your <laughs> <laughs> serve in that Venus, in the first time you played her, uh, Danielle in Miami, I thought your serve was just on fire that night. Like she had so much trouble picking it up. 
Is it crazy that like sometimes when I think back to my matches, like I can't really remember that much. Like I remember playing really well and being like, oh, wow. (laughs) That's what your fans are for. There you go. Exactly. Is there ever a moment where you go back and you just kind of Google Danielle Collins YouTube and you just kind of sit back and you say, ah, you know, pat on the back for that one, Danny Rose. You know, I think it's almost like when you hear your own voice, that type of feeling. It's like when I'm watching myself play, I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't, like, I'm like, oh my God. Good to know. Good good to know. Yeah. It, it, no, I, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm here now. I hear my voice and I'm like, Ooh, shudder, but, um, <laughs> cool. All right. Well that on that note, we'll go to question three. All right, Danielle, this is your second question about David. Danielle, David makes a living working in social media. So unfortunately he had to ignore social dilemma on Netflix. Did you watch that documentary? Did you get to see that? No. What's that? It's about putting your devices down. Don't be connected to social media anymore. That's- oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. You'll love it then. David is a major tennis fan, but ironically, you were just part of a small entourage of tennis players that he follows on Instagram. His most recent ad is a player that, unlike most of us, is having a great 2020 as she won her first title of her career this past year. Which recent player would you guess pole vaulted into David's tennis hemisphere? Iga. Yeah. Iga. Are we not going to attempt the last name? Are you... It's fine. Ega's fine. I don't want to butcher it. Schwantek. Okay. I hope somebody messages me or tweets me. Ega Schwantek. I've been practicing. Danielle, did you get to see any of Ega's matches in, in Paris? I did. I, yeah, I think she has an incredible game. I mean, she just yeah. belts it and goes after it. She doesn't think twice about it. Everything looks so natural and easy and flawless. And I, I too, I love how she works with her sports psychologist and her sports psychologist was there. I think that's for someone her age, especially too, like it's such a step ahead of the game and such forward thinking. Yeah. I'm just really, yeah. Kind of blown away by her professionalism, her maturity, her tennis IQ. Um, She's so smart on court and makes really good decisions in high pressured situations and handles her emotions and her nerves so well. So yeah, there's a lot of things that I really admire about her game. The future is bright for the 19 year old, for sure. The topic is social media. David, I know it's a tricky subject for you since you do it for a living, but social media is an interesting animal these days, as you see players using it in all different ways. You have the Judy and the Andy Murrays of the world who are vocally pushing equality You have a bunch of ATP players that have found a niche into vanity marketing, which awesome, good for them. And then you have others that seem to be controversial every time they post or tweet. Tennis fans, though, seem to eat it up. David, which of those categories do you follow the most on social media? You know, John, I have to call out a fourth category, which is players getting their paper. Like Serena, we know... Sponsored by, sponsored by Pampers, we get it. But I love like Petra hawking me like an off-brand hair straightener. I'm like, I will buy that from you, <laughs> Petra, like for sure. Like, yeah. Petra Kavitova, she, is, she must make so much money from these endorsements because it's constantly every post. Wow, I love it. <laughs> so I, I just love all the, the random kind of sponsored posts we're getting. Danielle, do you have any agreements where like they make you post on social media or anything? Um, I have a few, but they're not heavily. Yeah, it's not like every day. No, uh-uh. Um, because I think they want me to kind of present things organically. Yep. Um, <laughs> and I, I told the companies that I was working with when 
I first started working with them that social media was not my strength and it's not something that I really enjoy doing. I mean, there was a good portion of the year where I wasn't even on social media because I think from a mental health perspective, I think it's, I think it can be a toxic uh, part of our lives. And if I didn't play tennis, I wouldn't be on social media. You know, that's one thing about social media that I don't like is because you only get to see the best version of people's selves, which isn't actually them. Um, like, I think the worst version of yourself, that's you. <laughs> that's who you really are sometimes. And sometimes I wish people could see me like in my times when I'm struggling because I don't really think that my social media does justice or offers a genuine persona of what really goes on. So I just don't, I don't, yeah. yeah. I think it's great to be able to connect with fans, to connect with people who maybe I wouldn't be connecting with every day um, normally. I think it's great for sponsorships and for advertisements, but I, yeah, I have some mixed feelings about it um, just from a mental health perspective. I feel you, John. I know you and I've talked talked about this too, but you know, I think about it every day for work, and that means that personally, I actually really don't like it that much and don't post very often. And John, I know we've had conversations about how toxic it can be too. Uh, no, absolutely. This year, especially because we we've had such downtime that it's been exacerbated as well. You see all these horrible posts and these terrible things. For me, we need to definitely have some regulations with it. I don't know how you're going to regulate social media. David, I'll, I'll put you on Biden's committee. You know, I, I nominate you to do something about social media, but social dilemma, Danielle, because you're going to be like, yeah, this, this movie's dumb because I, I do this all the time. So I don't need this, but yeah, it's, it was a, it's a good story. So. Yeah, I, you know, I was so happy when I got off of social media um, in the middle of the year because I started just focusing more on areas that I wasn't focusing on as much and that I needed to. I've been, I started doing more reading. I started trying to learn a foreign language. I started to learn about Krav Maga. Um, what language are we learning? I'm trying to learn a little bit of Spanish and I'm, I'm one of those people. I, I know that my Spanish is really bad. So like I'm embarrassed and then I don't try to actually speak, which is worse. So I'm, I'm trying to work on it, but yeah, learning a language is so hard, especially when you're older, because you know, when you're a kid and you learn, you, you're not ashamed or embarrassed. And when you're older, you're kind of like, Oh my God, I don't want to say the wrong thing or, or say it incorrectly or offend them or, or, you know, and so I, I'm working on it and it's keeping my brain stimulated. I'm doing my master's program too. So that was something too. Like when I got off social media, it's like, I've got to apply for this program and I need to really focus on this right now because the deadline's coming up and I need to get enrolled in classes and house is being remodeled as well. So you're busy. Yeah. I've been, you're, you're very busy. Are we, are we doing, I think I read sports management. Is that what we're getting our master's in? Yeah. Re- right up your alley. Are you putting in a pickleball court? What are we doing at home? Are we just doing some light, you know, Ooh, um, bowl, bowling alley? Are we doing much no? the whole thing and okay. bathrooms, kitchen. Awesome. Um, Great off season. Yeah. Yeah. So she has no time for Netflix guys. Now you know why. So, all right. Last question, David, about Danielle. We all know that Danielle loves Australia and has played some of her best tennis down under. In the past two years, Danielle has scored six wins over top 20 opponents during the Aussie summer swing. Can you name at least two of them? Uh, Kerber. Yes. 
remember that match very vividly. And Gurgis. Oh wow, you went you went left there. We mentioned already Benchich and Svitolina, so I was that was good. Okay, I love it. Gurgis, have a great retirement, Julia. Danielle, you love Australia. Even your boyfriend is Australian. What's the vibe in Australia that brings the best out of you there? What's not the vibe? I think it's the best type of vibe. Everyone's so laid back, friendly, easygoing. It's a very peaceful country. I think it just rubs off on me when I'm there. It's just the aura of the culture there. And the food is great. There's so much to see. I love Byron Bay. I love the surf towns. And my boyfriend always has a new place to show me. So, yeah. You do have an Aussie boyfriend. So now what's what's now the most Aussie thing about you? Well, I subscribe to the Batuta Advocate on Instagram, which is, I feel like, mostly Australians. Kind of like an Australian like joke thing. But Alan's Candy. I'm hooked on Alan's Candy. Um, now I kind of like I'm taking an interest in surfing. I don't say crikey or anything like that. But. <laughs> Uh, after this past year, 2019 seems like an absolute lifetime ago, but can we talk about your great run in Australia for a minute? Gurgis, Sasha Vickery, Garcia, Kerber, Pavlichenkova. What memory of those two weeks stand out the most to you? I'm probably being down two match points against Gurgis and then coming back. I think when you get through a match like that, a lot of times it just it gives you so much confidence because you're like, okay. I was supposed to be out in the first round and somehow I survived the storm. Um, anything can happen now. So the belief that I had after that match was incredible. And that semifinal, was there something that you feel like moving forward, being in that big pressure match situation, you think that you took away from that match? You'd been doing well progressively. We talked about that, but was there anything maybe from that, uh, that match, a, t- a good takeaway from the loss? I mean, they closed the roof like when I was in a position to win the first set. And I'm playing against somebody that's from the Czech Republic that grew up playing indoors their whole life. And indoors has never been my strength. There's a reason why I don't play indoor tournaments often. So yeah, I mean, I think it favored her. And there was that day, it was just something that it was out of my control and it wasn't meant to be. So I have to accept that. And she played a great match. And, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things you have to learn as a professional athlete is acceptance when things don't go your way um sometimes you know you can blame yourself a lot or you can internalize and i've just kind of accepted there were a lot of things that were out of my control that day do you need a minute after a loss does it take you a second to kind of go back into chill out mode does your boyfriend know to to give you like five minutes is it 30 minutes (laughs) i may even need a day because i think um with what we do, you know, I'm, I'm a very creative person as well. And so my career, you know, this, this means everything to me. And so, you know, sometimes when you lose, you, you almost feel like it's like a death in the moment you look back and you can smile and walk away from it. But in that moment, that's, it can be hard, especially like losing to Ken in, uh, in, in the quarterfinals and tearing my ab again for the second time this year it was heartbreaking. I mean, I felt like I had put myself in the best position possible. And then from that point on, I mean, it took me a couple of days to get over that. And it was kind of like, well, how can I even be mad at my, be mad at myself when I've injured myself this badly again. And, you know, you just, yeah, it's, it's in those types of situations, it's really hard to move forward from it. I mean, it still is. I mean, it's, I'm getting like yeah. choked up talking about it because it's just painful to think about. Um, but it happens and you just have to learn how to accept and move on and take the goods and the bads and just try to be 
as best as you can be for the next match ahead. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what Alan's candy is for now. Yeah. You just sit and you eat the Alan's candy and that's, yeah, agreed. Um, well, awesome. That's the game guys. Uh, Danielle, you're the winner of fan versus favorite. I'm so sorry, David, but bragging rights for the tennis pro this week. Danielle wins. All right. We're going to close up. It's you've got mail Two fan mail questions from your fans all over the world. Danielle. The first one is from Naomi from Sarasota, Florida. She says, I am a rheumatoid arthritis sufferer. Thank you for talking about it in your interviews. I've read that you're seeing great health progress that you attribute to your diet. What does it consist of? Um, I do a lot of gluten-free and dairy-free foods. I try to stay away from dairy as much as possible because I know that that's a trigger for me. That's something that I have a reaction to and I'm sensitive to. And gluten is also an inflammatory trigger. The best thing that I did was I had allergy testing done to kind of identify different foods that could potentially cause flare-ups. And those were the two biggest ones. So um, making those adjustments have been have been life-changing. Um, you know, I think too, our foods here in the States are a little bit different than maybe in some other parts of the world, because sometimes when I'm over in Europe, I can have cheeses and, and the gluten there. And, and I don't end up having flare ups when I'm over there, which is really interesting. So I think sometimes the chemicals in our food can um, create these types of like immune responses. But I've also found a lot of remedy and uh, acupuncture. I, I'm, I never did acupuncture before this. And I thought, you know what, I might as well give it a try. And it was an amazing experience for me. Um, I get it done every so often now. And I always feel that it helps me sleep better at night. It helps me rest and recuperate. And it helps anytime I have a flare up of my acupuncturist, put the needles in. I feel that just, I don't know how it works. I'm not sure, but it, it has helped me enormously. The, I think those that have been the most helpful for me, you know, that might not be the same for everyone, but you have to figure out, you know, what works for you because what works for me might not work for another person. So tough on the road though, having to, having to either bring all of that with you or trying to be resourceful if you're playing these tournaments. I mean, that's why I try to make trips to Whole Foods. So, <laughs> oh man. All right, David, last question for you. Yeah, Danielle, you know, thinking back college, ITFs, pros, Grand Slams, I love a good 16 14 in the third give me Venus beating Lindsay nine, seven in the third, right? What is one match that stands out to you? That was just the most physically grueling. You had to leave everything on the line. Is there any match like that, that, that comes to your brain first and foremost? Yes. You know, I love talking about my ITF experiences because I think for people that play tennis and, and fans of tennis, like these are the things we want to talk about. It's not always the ones that you get to see on TV, but I actually played Taylor Townsend in the semifinals of a 25 K and God, we were like back and forth and back and forth. I was like, I don't even, I can't even, I mean, now it's like, it almost seems like a blur because I was so exhausted in that match <laughs> and I just like holding on by a thread. And I lost in the third set tiebreak by, by two points. And I came off the court, my college coach was helping me. And I was just like, I don't understand. Like, why didn't I win that match? Like I was in tears. Like I was like, I was out there for three and a half hours and I lost that match. Like I did everything that I could. And, and my coach was like, Taylor is a good player. She's a great player. She was moving so well. Like she was hitting lines. She was hitting big serves. She was hitting incredible volleys and you were doing incredible things too. And you had chances, you know, um, that's one match where I felt like I was like, 
oh my God, it was, it was just like every emotion you could experience that match because you're like thinking too, you're like, well, if I win this match, I'm going to get 40 points instead of 20 points. I'll get $1,500 instead of $600. And at the time, you know, you're just like, oh my God, how did it all slip away from me? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a hard one, but I learned so much from that match. And I still think about that match sometimes, even now. I mean, I, I felt like there were, it was a really big moment of growth for me, personal growth in that, <clears throat> in that match. So that's probably one of my most memorable and something that I've learned the most from because you know like the, what I was telling you about acceptance it's like sometimes you just have to accept they're too good <laughs> I've had to accept that a lot of times <laughs> John we had some homework looking up that match on YouTube <laughs> please find it that was oh my god that was incredible and then we played a great match a couple months later at Indian Wells and I beat Taylor and she was probably feeling the same thing that I felt the met, you know, the previous match. Isn't that crazy about tennis though, that it's, it's all about the moment because, you know, you have that three set grueling match against Taylor Townsend and then, yeah, it, you show up the next day and you learn it. That's what's, that's what kept me playing tennis for so long. And that's probably what's going to keep you playing tennis for, for hopefully a very long time. Last question for me, do you think you'll play till you're 40? Is that something, are we, are we going to see you playing for a very long time talking to you today? Hopefully everyone listening out there, you hear the passion in Danielle's voice that she has for tennis. It sounds like you have a lot of plans anyway, but uh, as a backup, do you foresee yourself playing in this new Venus and Serena Williams era of 40 plus? You know, you can never say never. I admire Venus and Serena so much. And I feel like in their career, a lot of their best successes and best tournaments were when they were 35, 36. It's, it may not even be so much from a physical standpoint, but just from the mental and from the experience that they gained over long course of playing their whole life. And I mean, they can walk into any situation. They're always going to have way more experience than anybody else playing. I mean, that's an incredible thing to have under your belt. And then from a physical standpoint too, they're just as good as any 17 or 18 year old. I mean, they're obviously better. <laughs> so, I mean, they're two of the like greatest players of all time. So I think they're incredible and I would be so honored yep. if I could have a career anything like theirs and to be able to play until I'm that age but we'll see you know we just have to take it we gotta just take it one day at a time <laughs> that's the fun thing Danielle we'll see 2021 is going to be a great year for you on that note what a fun hour I want to thank my guests for joining us today you can find David Replogel on Instagram at Mr. Rep, that's M-I-S-T-E-R-R-E-P. Thank you, David. You're awesome. This was amazing. Thank you, John. And thank you, Danielle, so much. Our guest today can be found on Instagram at Danimal Collins. Danielle, I can't thank you enough. Always a pleasure. Everyone, while you're on Instagram, please follow us at Fantastic Tennis Pod or on Twitter at Fan Tennis Pod. My name is John Garica, and thank you for listening. This has been fantastic. <laughs>